Hey, do you have a cool website? Have you been writing a blog for forever? Want to monetize your cool blog? Let me tell you about Ezoic. It puts ads on your website and then pays you for it. That probably sounds like it's difficult to do, but I promise you it really isn't, and Ezoic can help you make it happen. Visit rpgbot.net slash EZ, that's the letters EZ, to get started. Welcome to the RPG Bot Podcast. I'm Randall James, a flying fox, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. I know I put my little dragon familiar somewhere, but I think he's in the cookie jar right now. So <laughs> your your familiar sir not appearing on this podcast. Yeah, my familiar sir not appearing in this film. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tyler, what is happening? Well, today we're talking about everybody's favorite pet, the familiar. If you have played with a wizard in your party, or if you've played with a a pack magic warlock, variety of other classes, you may have had a familiar in your party. The familiars are essentially a an arcane spellcaster's pet. It's a magical pet. It does magical things. It's there in the party. Sometimes they're cool. Sometimes they're skulls. Sometimes skulls are cool. You get my point. Today we're going to talk about what they are, what they do how to take advantage of them, and how to make them fun in your game. So let's start with just the the basics of like what a familiar is and ask ourselves, what is the fantasy of a familiar? I mean, for me, it's having like a, a really intelligent pet that follows you around everywhere. Honestly, for me, the ideal familiar would be something like Salem from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Exactly. Oh, yeah. you know? That's the, a the great wise- example. A wisecracking cat who just who secretly wants to dominate the world but can't and is just making jokes all the time <laughs> and can be like a source of sage wisdom occasionally. Their main magic is uh, somehow a laugh track comes out of nowhere. Like weird thaumaturgy <laughs> bro, but let's make yeah. it happen, I guess. <laughs> or uh, another example from my youth that I was really attached to was um, Binks the cat from... Uh, Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I liked Binks a lot. <laughs> Somehow still have never seen that movie. Oh, it's, it's a fantastic film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they right, made a sequel. Be... I haven't seen that. Can't endorse it, but maybe it's good. Then we'll put them both in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. Like the idea of a familiar in folklore, right? Is, well, let, let me flip that on its head. Where did the idea come from? Uh, I would like to accuse somebody of being a witch or a magic user. There was a weird cat or a frog in my house earlier. They must have sent the frog to spy on me. So what is my evidence that this person is a witch or otherwise, you know, attempting to use dark magic? There was a frog in my house. <laughs> I think a lot of it also has to do with the um, the long classic held belief of black cats being jinxes and with witches being associated with the devil and dark magic. Cats were often their servants because they were jinxes and servants of uh, manifestations of bad luck and misfortune, which sucks. Black cats are now the most abandoned cats of any type of cat, which is really sad. Black cats are great. They're not jinxes, I swear. 
they're, they're basically the same as other cats. Yeah. In, in, in reality, right? Like this little old lady wanted to live in the woods and and raise a lot of cats. Like I, yeah. Anyway, I guess <laughs> let's let's not get started on that tangent. But yeah, if we're gonna have fantasy and we're gonna live in a world where, okay, I can have magic powers and I can have pets. Why can't I have pets that interact with my magic powers? That's all I want. Kinda, yeah. And there's a like there's a lot of different interpretations of that. Like um, we'll, we'll get into the mechanics in a bit. But Ash, you're playing a witch right now in PF1, right? Mm-hmm. Does your witch have a familiar? Technically, yes. Uh, so the, we're doing some homebrew stuff uh, because I am doing a harrower multi-class. Um, and my DM has let me take harrower at second second character level which is not something that you're usually allowed to do. The, the caveat was that I exchanged my familiar for a set of cards that I can turn into a swarm of cards that attack people. <laughs> so you're familiar with a swarm of cards. Got it. Yes, essentially, yeah. <laughs> All right. So and maybe not the easiest example, but you get it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? I, I, can't, do have, I can't work with that. We're going somewhere else. <laughs> I do have a more classic familiar... Uh, we have an NPC cat-like creature in our party that is part cat, part hellhound. That's very interesting. Do you have a hellhound cat dog? No. Okay. No, no, no. Um, I, I believe. I believe. You misunderstand. They have, like, they have like a tail. I don't. I don't know. I'll have to remind myself. <laughs> By the way, if I sound bad, it's because I am sick. So I apologize. Her name is Salem. Because I, you know, classic. <laughs> sure. um, and she talks and has agency and uh, is kind of like am I familiar? But she's more of just like a member of the family, so to speak. All right. Yeah. So so we've hit on some of the like fantasies of having a familiar. We want to be a cool magical pet that interacts with our our features. We want them to have a personality. Sometimes it's a wisecracking cat. Sometimes it's a hellhound cat. Sometimes it's a deck of cards. Who knows? Sometimes it's not even a cat. Sometimes it's not even a cat. Frogs, snakes, uh, talking skulls, owls, famously. Game of Thrones, best familiars, right? I either get a dire wolf or I get a whole (laughs) dragon. Uh, I think those might be in animal companion territory. (laughs) That's fair. But like you could... There was there was empathetic feeling, like they could feel each other's emotions. There was a lot of that going on. And in the books, it's even more so. Yeah. Dan, delete this. Just in case you're wondering, blue Gatorade and then drinking Coke after, not a good flavor combo. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Get <laughs> back into it. I just needed to say that. <laughs> no, that feels right. It's I saw that face and I thought that was like, that was the cat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so think of yourselves as players for a moment, guys. Uh, you have you're familiar. Maybe it's a cat. Uh, maybe it's a frog. Maybe it's something else. Do you want your cat to fight stuff? Sorry. Do you want your familiar to fight stuff? My cat fights stuff. I've, I've lived that fantasy daily. It's mostly me. My deck of cards fights stuff. So yes, I do want okay. my familiar to fight stuff. I think this is part of what we're going to talk about tonight. Mechanically, I wanted to fight stuff. From a roleplay perspective, I probably want, you know, especially if it is something that's cute and cuddly, like a cat or a dog or an owl, I don't want it in the fight. Like if I'm fighting, you know, some great monster and like blood's dripping from its teeth and there's like, 
you know, gore flying everywhere. It's like, Al, you are going to do no good. You stay on my <laughs> shoulder and together we will watch the carnage and occasionally cast spells. Now, what if your familiar delivers spells for you, though? Now, see, this is this is what this is what I want. This is going to be great. Like you get over there, you do something useful, but then soon just come on home. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Now we're talking. Yes. <laughs> just I'm going to use vampiric touch from the comfort of this beach chair. Yeah, or alternatively, I'm going to cast uh, Dragon Breath on my familiar and then just let it go to town. It works every time. Yep. <laughs> All right. So so we hit on a few examples. Uh, we talked about the cat from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. We talked about the cat from Hocus Pocus. Um, if you've seen Disney's Sword in the Stone, there's a talking owl. Also a great example of a familiar. Who? Like, what, what, what? Yeah, that guy, Archimedes. <laughs> um, gosh, uh, let's see. So I I started reading the first Harry Potter book like maybe a year or two after I started playing D&D and I was already latched onto wizards in D&D. So like I'm very into familiars at that point. And then Harry Potter comes along and is like, ah, children are allowed to bring pets to school, but they must be these kind of pets. Like every single one of these is a familiar option in D&D. Cat, rat, frog. I can't remember if snakes are on there. I think they made might have been uh, owl as well. Owl, yeah. yeah. It's like it, you could have just like you could have just copy pasted the wizard list from D and D, and then just taken out the things that bite. Yeah. <laughs> and pseudo dragons. What the heck? Give me my pseudo dragons. I know. <laughs> All right, so let's let's jump into the mechanics a bit. Um, back in. 3x getting a familiar was very much a class feature and this was getting a familiar was very much a class feature and this was something that advanced with your class level so like every every level of wizard or sorcerer or whatever else could get you familiar would advance the capabilities of your familiar they got things over time like the you know additional hit points the ability to deliver spells things like that but for the most part you started from what was essentially a house pet so like it, your your bog standard cat frog um you could get a poisonous snake which was pretty great because like ah, i have this intelligent talking snake that does con damage they were they were really cool but unless you spent a lot of time making them actually useful they were basically a, a liability because they were so precious um, and i know i've talked about this previously on the podcast in 3.0 and 3x uh if your familiar died you permanently lost experience points so like your familiar dying was a huge problem, so you never took them out in combat. You never sent them anywhere dangerous. Okay, when you say we lose experience points, is in like, oh, like I've I've lost a little bit of the path of making the next level, or like I have dropped a level and lost abilities because my familiar died. It it's like I lose a chunk of XP towards my next level, but um, also if you lost XP in three five and you were close enough to your previous level, you could just drop a level. That's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty unlikely just because you're supposed to get XP after every experience granting thing as opposed to like at the end of an adventure or the end of a session. The fact that it's a possibility was just very weird and frustrating. Well, I mean, it, that's not the worst thing that you talked about for 3X, though, so I guess I'm not so offended <laughs> by this. Do you, uh, So in that vein, what was the cost of the familiar themselves? So let's say my familiar died. It's something that I started with as a, a cat, a dog, a frog, whatever the case may be. I get to level 10, my familiar dies. What happens now? 
do I do I get a get a new one and we're just as good as we ever were? Yeah, you can. It it took some amount of time. I'm struggling to remember. It may have been like eight days or a week or something that you had to spend just attracting a new familiar. It was really strange because you could also just promote something to be your familiar. Like if you if you found a friendly pseudo dragon or like took the right feet or something, you'd say like, hey, do you agree to my, be my familiar now? And they could be like, sure, man. But if they died, it's like I, I have to go sit in my wizard's tower and brood for a week and get a new house cat. I imagine you showing up and it's like you show up with a bat or something like that. It's like, oh, what's that? And it's like, oh, it's my new familiar. It's like, that, that's terrible. Why'd you choose that? Because <laughs> uh, they, they have blind sight. It's just the wizard in his tower going, oh, mittens. Oh, mittens. <laughs> Which is a weird name for a bat. too soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, let's see. So familiars also gave you like a really minor mechanical benefit. Like if you, if you had a toad as familiar, you got plus two hit points. If you had certain familiars, you'd get plus one to one specific type of save. So like they had these little, like it was like a small feat in addition to being a pet. And that was kind of cool. Cats famously in three, five had three attacks that each dealt one damage. So like a cat was a reasonable threat to a first level character. If you got in a fight with a house cat, you could die. Especially if you were that wizard. That feels right, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Having fought a house cat? Yeah. Yeah. As an NPC in my own home. <laughs> Let's see. So some of the some of the ideas from 3X definitely carried over to 5E, to PF2, absolutely to PF1. The improved familiar feat got you access to better options. So that's where you get things like pseudo dragons. You could get Depending on which specific feat you took, you could get things like a lantern arcan, which is literally like an angel glowy ball thing that shoots lasers. You could get imps, things like that. And your improved familiar would have a bunch of stuff that like your magical house cat wouldn't be able to do. Um, they never really got to the point where they were useful in combat because they were still so frail and so difficult to lose. Um, but you could still make them really cool and they could serve as like spies, messengers, things like that. Um, and they gained the ability to deliver spells. So like they hit a lot of those fantasies that we already talked about. Little uh little tip for anybody who wants to take the improved uh familiar uh warlock chain packed thing in 5e. Pick a pixie or <laughs> yeah, pixie or a fairy, one of the two. I can't remember which one it is. But uh because all of their saves are now equal to your save DC for your spells. Mm -hmm. And they have a very interesting uh, ability where if a person fails a save by more than five, they just go unconscious. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pact of the chain. And then there's an invocation you have to take for that. It's like improve Pact of the chain or improve Pact familiar. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's cheating, basically. It is. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Cannot believe they wrote that. It's great. I love it. <laughs> uh. Well, uh, let's see. So I, I touched on this one a little bit. Um, in PF1, they introduced the witch class, which is very much all about their familiar. Uh, they're conceptually similar to a wizard and like intelligence-based caster, but they get their powers from a patron instead of from study. And those powers are delivered through their familiar. So your familiar serves as both your cool pet, your conduit to your patron, and your spellbook in a lot of ways. So it's mm -hmm. like when you go to propel your spells in the beginning of 
of the day, you you grab your fox or whatever and stare deeply into their eyes and say, I need magic missile today. <laughs> yes, it? That's how that's how it goes. Okay, what happens <laughs> to a witch if the familiar dies? I believe uh the way it works, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Tyler, uh, is that uh any spells that you have prepared you still have, but you can't prepare new spells. So you essentially it, it you essentially can't cast spells once you're through your prepared spells for that day. You have to summon your familiar back. I mean, that's how it worked, in, I think, in Pathfinder 1. I don't know about Pathfinder 2. I've never lost my familiar, so... Unfortunately, I don't remember off the top of my head. I believe Ash is correct, though. Like, you retain all your prepared spells, but can't prepare them again until you get a new familiar. Uh, so, you know, if you're still playing PF1, go check your class features. We'll have it in the show notes. Yeah. You have to know where a shelter is where, like, you can go find a kitten that's in need immediately. <laughs> Like we're going back to battle. Yeah. I'm not going to throw you in this time. <laughs> yeah, I should know that rule, but I don't because I've never lost my familiar. Because it turns out swarms are very hard to kill in Pathfinder 1. <laughs> they sure are. Okay. <laughs> and you know what's hard to kill? Capitalism. Let's have, have an ad break, yeah? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about 5e. Fast forward to today, or at least uh, today until 2024, I guess. Um, so if you're playing 5e, if you're a wizard, you almost certainly have a familiar. If you're a warlock and you're looking at Pact of the Chain, definitely familiar. Uh, sorcerers, bards, like a, a lot of other spellcasters can get it, and you can just take the ritual caster feat, but familiars come from the spell find familiar and that entire spell defines how familiars work in 5e um, so among other improvements compared to 3x familiars are really easy to replace like since it's a ritual spell you can recast the spell without spending a spell slot it already takes 10 minutes to cast so it's like 20 minutes to resummon your familiar you have to pay the 10 gold piece material component cost every time which is really annoying at low levels but like won't it probably won't bankrupt you. The spell does impose some limitations, which actually make familiars really interesting and kind of complicated in 5e. So notably, they have a couple of actions that they specifically can't take. Uh, most notable among those, they can't take the attack action. For people familiar or for people accustomed to throwing their house cat at low-level kobolds, can't do that in 5e. The list of options that you can choose from is also like frustratingly short. Like you, I think you can still get a poisonous snake. You can get like rats, cats. Yeah, I, I'll give you the list: a bat, a cat, a crab, <laughs> a frog or toad, hawk, lizard, octopus, owl, poisonous snake, and fish. Uh, in parentheses, it then says quipper. I'm assuming that's a kind of fish. It's a kipper. It's a basically a piranha. Oh, that's how you spell kipper? Yeah, right? Perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, spelled by the same guy who spelled lieutenant. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, crab's fun on that list. Also, I really like the fact that they say poisonous snake, not venomous snake. And second, that taking a non-venomous, non-poisonous snake was not an option. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, so among those options, there's, like, conceptually, there's a lot of variety. Octopi are very smart. They can do a lot of things. 
birds can fly, bats have blind sense, but basically the only thing anyone ever takes is owls. Point of order, a thing that uh, you can do is you can change your familiar's shape by resummoning it. So that is something that people do a lot. They have their normal landform, but like especially if you're going underwater, you're going to want to have your octopus or kipper. Um, I don't know why you would go with kipper when octopus is way better. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I, I have always wanted to get a kipper and carry them around in a glass bowl hanging from my quarterstaff. If I have a kipper as a familiar, I'm going to turn to it. I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to fry you up for breakfast tomorrow. I'm sorry. You're too <laughs> delicious. Uh, oh, except for I'll when summon it, uh, you, I'll summon you back. If, uh, you are getting eaten. <laughs> when it hits zero hit points, it disappears. Damn it. Yeah. Foiled, uh, foiled again. But they, they actually thought of that. There was like, people are going to have fried octopus and we can't have that. So, <laughs> that like, is this a, is worse than Goodberry. There's a thing that uh, in like Norse mythology, though, like uh, Thor has a goat that he can kill and eat and then he can bring it back to life. And I'm just like, that <laughs> poor goat has probably gone through this so many times. <laughs> Every day. Yeah, like, <laughs> God, they have silly names too. It's like uh, Bone Breaker and Teeth Nasher, the yeah. two goats, the two goats that pull his sleigh through the sky. Yeah, I believe they tried to do pay homage to them in uh, Love and Thunder, but it just turned into a screaming goat meme. <laughs> Real classic, Taika. We're getting off the rails here. Let's get back on track. Uh. Yeah, so one of the interesting things about familiars in 5e, as an action, you can temporarily dismiss them. Yes. Which is helpful when you're going somewhere dangerous, because like getting your familiar in their one hit point fireballed, not great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, they go into a pocket dimension. When you're ready to, you can take an action to get them back out there. Uh, so yeah, that's nice. Just, hey, I think, I think this is going to get dicey. I'm just going to put this away. Although I do love what Ash talked about of like, yeah, I'm just going to cast dragon's breath on my familiar. And then I'm going to tell my owl to absolutely go to town on these people. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then of course, cause I think we'll, we'll draw a distinction as we talk through PF two, the familiar can also deliver touch spells for you as long as they're within a hundred feet of you. Oh, that's correct. I believe it eats the react. It eats your reaction though. There is also, Another way to get a familiar, like we, we talked a little bit about the wizard spell and the warlock feature, but there's actually uh, a way to get uh, a different way to get a familiar. And that is pseudo dragons because pseudo dragons have a thing in their description where if you make a deal with them, they will become your familiar. And that's kind of where the description ends. It doesn't tell you like <laughs> this functions, at, this functions the same way as fine familiar, or they can do other things. But my wizard, my illusion wizard that I played had uh, a pseudo dragon and used fire breath to great effect. <laughs> it was very fun. Yeah. So actually, it uses the familiar's reaction to immediately go and deliver. Yes. The, the spell. That's right. Not your reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk on or let's hit on the pseudo dragon thing real quick while we're on that. And then we'll, we'll come back to the action economy on familiars because I want to hit that. So pseudo dragons are like one of the only things in 5e that says like this is this may be an option as a familiar beyond what's in 
your actual character options and it's never explored again um like three x when a new creature was published that could be a familiar would say like oh yeah you can select this as an option when you take the improved familiar feat and it's like okay answer answer is right there the pseudo dragon if if you take it as a familiar like it's very easy to look at and say like oh yeah this is really cool like this is a fun little dragon it'll be a nice improvement to my my like i am the dm my player wants to improve their familiar here's a pseudo dragon but like they're they're pretty powerful little guys they're telepathic Mm -hmm. they have a breath weapon if i remember right they do um if i other things I should have checked beforehand, but if I remember correctly, if you have them as a familiar in 5e, uh, they also give you advantage on saves against spells. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yes, they so, do. Like, items that do that are, like, very rare at minimum, if I remember right. So, like, that is a really, really powerful benefit. Yeah, this goes back to the thing about 5e being uh, mostly based off of DM Fiat. Then mm-hmm. I think the reason why they don't go into too much detail about it is like your DM can decide. There you go. <laughs> like, cool. I'm the DM. Can you give me more guidance than that? Mm-hmm. No. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Yeah. My advice, if you're going to give players a pseudo dragon as a familiar, just give them that instead of, uh, instead of a very rare magic item. Like it's similar in power, doesn't require attunement which is like that is on its own pretty powerful so they won't be able to do it until reasonably high level unless you're giving away very very powerful items early but still like that's a cool reward like fighter gets a cool sword wizard gets a house cat i mean a, a pseudo dragon i think that's a good that's um that's a good compromise and if you're gonna do it that way like if you're gonna do the very rare stuff let them use all their features for the pseudo dragon don't be like this is a pseudo dragon but you can't use it to attack or do its breath weapon it's like (laughs) cool so i just get the advantage i mean that's nice but this guy's got like the vorpal sword that decapitates people on a crit can you just let me use the pretty bad breath weapon please I mean, that'd be great. Uh, familiars are only prohibited from using the attack action. So, like, it would still be able to use its breath weapon. It just does, let it yeah. attack. Just let it attack. It's not going to break <laughs> that fine. much. It uh, works for warlocks, and no one ever uses it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. Okay, so yeah, let's let's jump back to the action economy around familiars, and then we'll hit warlocks because I want to pick on them a little bit. So I mentioned how everyone chooses owls in five e. Now, have either of you guys seen an owl in action in 5e? No. No. Okay, so owls have one thing that makes them cool, and it's not stealth proficiency. They have a trait called flyby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So flyby allows you to move while flying without provoking opportunity attacks. Now, when your AC is 11 and you have one hit point, avoiding opportunity attacks is really, really nice. So what your familiar can do is... Fly in, uh, fly in adjacent to an enemy. You can deliver your touch range spell, and then your familiar can then safely fly away. And your familiar has spent exactly zero time in any real danger while doing that, but you have the benefit of delivering a touch range spell from up to 100 feet away. So, um, like, there aren't a ton of great wizard touch spells in 5e, but, like, if you're a cleric or familiar, you could deliver cure wounds or something like that, or inflict wounds for that matter. I want to make sure that I understand this correctly. 
if I choose any other familiar besides the owl, let's say the octopus, and the octopus were to scramble over on the floorboards on its eight legs to deliver a spell (laughs) for me, and happen to walk inside and then outside the safety donut of the enemy we're fighting, that enemy could then just use an opportunity attack to kill my octopus, and that's it. Absolutely. Yep. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, um, I I came into this episode really wondering, like, yeah, familiars seem cool. Why have I never seen one in a game? Oh, this is why. Okay. <laughs> and because I, I have yet to play a wizard in any of your games, Randall. That's fair. Okay. In which case, you would have had now. Because yeah. you're not I, a fool. Yes. I have seen familiars used actively as a warlock but we'll get to that yeah. <laughs> um but warlocks are just warlock familiars are very good so yeah. uh, so one more very important thing that that make owls very popular familiars even if you're not a spellcaster like this is a very popular trick for rogues um familiars can't take the attack action they can still use the help action mm-hmm. so what you do familiar flies in uses the help action and then flies out of reach and then the next person to attack that target has advantage. So like, yeah, that is um, that is absolutely a way that I have seen most familiars play. Is people use their familiars to give them advantage. Usually, surprisingly, uh, enemies don't tend to focus on killing something that has only one hit point mm-hmm. because it's just like not worth their time. So, familiars. Not dying as much as you would think, but basically once you get into melee with most familiars that aren't owls, they're just there until that creature dies because it's a free attack if they move. Uh, although you also have to think that is an enemy going to spend their one reaction a turn killing something that is one hit point <laughs> and literally all it's good for is just giving occasional advantage. So no, they're not going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's really beneficial for the players, but not so harmful to enemies that they're likely to spend an action on it. Unless it's like, oh, there's a hundred kobolds in this room, and one of them throws a rock at your bird. Your bird is now dead. Yeah, although I sh- oh, AOE is still a thing, right? That's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to burn the reaction. I'm just going to choose to do the thing that's going to kill everything in this particular cone. <laughs> yeah, and that's usually how I've seen familiars because my players use familiars a lot. That's usually how I've seen familiars die is to AoE stuff. Usually as a as a DM, it's not a conscious choice for me to target a person's familiar, not target a person's familiar. It's just like, it's not worth my time. If they get caught up, if they get caught up in an AOE scenario, that's one thing. But I'm not going to spend my one attack on this pathetic owl when I could do it on the guy who's hitting me. <laughs> and I'm, even if they do die, like we talked about, how easy it is to cast find familiar. Like yeah. next time I play a wizard, I'm gonna name my familiar twenty minutes of my time. Every time it dies, they're like, ah, you've wasted 20 minutes of my time. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, killing the familiar really doesn't affect the 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 wizard at all. Like, they're just yeah. like, cool, I can do slightly less now, but I can still do a lot. So, <laughs> Oh, no. Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just another reason why an enemy would have literally no reason to target a familiar. <laughs> I'm upset. I am going to disintegrate you now. Yeah. 
right. So let's talk about Warlocks a little bit. We hit on this a little earlier. Uh, Pact of the Chain gets you better familiars than just base find familiar in 5e. So you get to choose from a Quasit, which is the like, kind of tiny-sized lizardy demon guys, an Imp, or a Sprite. Now, curiously, all three of them can turn themselves invisible, which is pretty great. Yep. And uh, I believe they have... Do all of them have ranged attacks, or is it just the sprite? Just the sprite. Sprites are OP, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the imp and the sprite can both fly. All three of them can turn invisible, which is just an absolutely huge asset for scouting. Like, oh, look, turn yourself invisible without concentration? Good. Yeah, they're like they're better for scouting. They're smarter. They can talk. They can do all the normal familiar things like you can see through their senses and speak through them. So you can send your invisible imp into a room and just shout at people invisibly from a corner. (laughs) Um, They also regain the ability to attack. And normally that doesn't really matter. But in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, they introduced um, the the name of the feat is eluding me. Improved pack chain or... um, Tasha's Cauldron event for thing introduced investment of the chain master, which is the feat for improving your pact of the chain, kind of like improved pact weapon. But this one's for your familiar. So uh, they get either a flying or a swim speed, which only matters for the closet. Um, and then you can like you could already command your familiar to attack. You take the attack action and in place of one of your attacks, your familiar attacks. Now, in addition to that, as a bonus action, you can command it to attack. Any of their abilities that require creatures to make a saving throw now use your spellcasting DC, which Ash hit this earlier. Um, So between those things, your familiar can attack twice a turn at functionally no cost to you except actions. Any abilities that they use, use your spellcasting save DC so that Sprite Familiar does one point of damage, but every time it hits, the target has to make a saving throw and can fall unconscious from that. So you just, every round, two attacks, and and you just put all your enemies to sleep. Yeah, uh, one of my players used this uh, Sprite in like the final few sessions of the campaign they wrapped up and it was still useful like it was still really good against minions like it wasn't going to down a boss but it was it was downing all the minions and stuff like really well and the thing is like yes they have to fail it by five but uh even if they just fail it and not fail it by five they're still poisoned so (laughs) sprites are so good do not yeah. pick anything other than a sprite if you're going if you're gonna build it that way. Like imps are eh, imps are okay. Quasits quasits are garbage. Sprite yeah. is the way to go. <laughs> go sprite. <laughs> yeah, so that's warlocks. Pack to the chain, put everything to sleep. Nighty night. <laughs> All right. So I feel like we we've beat on 5e for a while. How about some PF2? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. <laughs> All right. So most classes that get familiars do not get them automatically. So we'll start with that. Like in, in 5e, you can cast Find Familiar the spell, assuming it's on your spell list. In 3x, anything that could get a familiar got it automatically as a class feature. In PF2, it's almost always a class feat. You can also get it as an ancestry feat. So like gnomes can just have a familiar because why not? Uh, witches get locked in having a familiar same with that pf1 theme there that conduit between your character and your your patron who's giving magical power they also serve as kind of your spellbook 
those things. Uh, wizards, sorcerers, druids, um, a bunch of other classes can get a familiar from taking a class feed. It's usually like first or second level. Um, and I think we talked about this a bit on the, what did we call the episode? Pets, minions, hirelings? It, it was like above. minions, hirelings, exactly. Because yeah. yeah, we were covering the name of the thing in each thing. Yeah. Very uh, descriptive. Yeah, so they, they use the minion rule. So uh, you spend an action, they take two actions, that's a thing. Um, you basically build your own familiar in PF2. So like we talked about in 3X, in 5E, you pick a stat block. In PF2, instead of building a stat block, your familiar has, by default, two powers. You can add more with some feats. Um, and those define what your familiar is capable of doing. So you also get to pick their base form, and that's kind of a trap. So we're going to hit on that real quick. Among the abilities that your familiar can take is things like flight. So if your familiar's base form has the, has the ability to fly or has some innate ability to do one of the familiar power things, you're permanently locked into that. You can't change that. So if you say, my familiar is an owl, your familiar is now locked into the flight familiar ability. Yeah, I, I want to make that worse. Okay. If you <laughs> choose duck, which can both swim and fly, then the two abilities that you would take would be amphibious. It can swim. Flyer, it can fly. Your familiar is not allowed any other abilities. <laughs> Uh, there's also the limitation, if you were to choose an animal that by default has more than two abilities that are on the list, you can't have that animal. That animal is too powerful <laughs> to be a familiar. So, uh, so no, um, no talking ducks, I guess? Well, that's I guess. <laughs> yeah. So owls like, uh, are bad in this system, so... Exactly. They're, they're the limiting. return it, of the cat! No, <laughs> here's what I'll say. To, to be reasonable... Like if I'm if I'm a DM and role play wise, it's really important to somebody that they have an owl. We're just gonna say like occasionally on that day when you choose something that isn't flying, broken wing can't fly today. <laughs> We're gonna just write that down. We're gonna carry on. Choose one of those kind of owls that lives on the ground. Do those exist? I think so. Okay. At the very least, they burrow under the ground. I don't know if they actually. I think they can still fly. Now that I think about it, I am not a zoologist. <laughs> um, I think you're talking about penguins, sir. <laughs> there you go if you want a bird pick a pink wait no they can swim so still we're burning all right. okay all right we need uh we need unanimal which is ubiquitous but has no interesting powers cat ostrich. supremacy cat no. supremacy i want an ostrich if we're if, we, if i have to have a bird right <laughs> can't can't fly can't swim can't I think burrow it has, i think it has to be tiny oh you're yeah. right it has to be tiny okay yeah cat Again. might be the winner cat supremacy Climb speed. Fine. Cats can climb stuff. Oh, go climber. away. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> but, but again, so as a DM, that's how I'm going to handle this. Yeah. Right, we're playing PF2. As a GM, that's how I'm going to handle this. I'm just going to say, whatever animal you want, you can have it. On days you pick something else, we're going to ignore the fact that cats can climb trees <laughs> or owls can fly. That, that's honestly more reasonable. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Tyler got into this a second ago. Uh, they have the minion trait, and because they have the minion trait... On your turn in combat, you can burn an action and you can give two actions to the uh, to your familiar. It's worth noting once again, your familiar cannot attack. What is this aversion to having our familiars attack things? <laughs> Does it really break that much? Just let them attack. 
I, I think they were, at least in 5e, I think they really were scared of that house cat situation. The house cat situation? <laughs> the 3 Killing a low level. Yeah. It's got three attacks that do one damage. A lot of characters have single digit hit points, so there's a very real chance that a cat can just murder a first level character. Well, then that's your fault as the DM. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't put single digit things in front of players. Honestly, I think that's hilarious and awesome. <laughs> having the cat, having like, like even if we get the boss that's down to like, you know, three hit points and our cat makes three attacks and he's like, you know, the big I am Eno, the world ender. And then he gets killed by a cat batting him on the nose. That's hilarious. <laughs> and i love that <laughs> embrace the crazy people <laughs> i am puss in boots <laughs> you you know what uh i'm gonna intentionally put the comma in the wrong place in that ash when we do the transcript finally embrace the crazy comma people is going to be come embrace the <laughs> boy my jokes are so much better when i can actually get through a sentence aren't they mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you got this buddy i believe in you <laughs> embrace the crazy comma people is going to become embrace the crazy people we're just gonna we're gonna put that on a shirt <laughs> embrace the crazy people oh lord michael scott <laughs> all right so so we've talked about uh we've talked about how you customize your familiars and the base form so let's talk about how we actually use them to practical effect because I mean, you're going to get a familiar. You probably want it for more than a company, especially if you're going to spend a class feed on it. So Randall's called out some great stuff in the show notes here. Uh, they are a creature and therefore they can flank. So just sending your familiar to flank for somebody in your party, very useful. And, and I think um, the logic we were talking about a second ago of like, is the monster going to use one of its attacks to kill the not one HP, but low HP potentially creature? that's giving the other creatures flanking? Probably not. Because for one thing, uh, because they do gain health as you go, they have 5 HP per your level. Uh, one hit is not likely to kill your familiar. So they would have to take multiple actions, taking the multi-attack penalty in attempts to kill the familiar, essentially giving everybody else a free round. And yeah, just logically, that's not what's going to happen here. Uh, they can also deliver spells, much like in 5e, uh, so this this is a specific power that you have to take for them to be able to do this. Um, so you can spend your one action, your familiar to give your familiar two actions. They can move as one action and then spend one action delivering that touch spell for you. Now there are there are options like reach spell, which just let you like I'm going to spend an action. My touch spell can now go thirty feet, and that's usually fine. For the same feat cost, you can get a familiar that can deliver spells for you and also do other familiar things. So it's like, you know, that that opportunity cost is interesting to weigh. But this is a place where I think you have to keep in mind, like spell delivery is under the list of master abilities. And mm -hmm. so if that is something you're regularly going to do, then that is one of the two things that you have just allocated to this to this familiar. Exactly. So I want to hit on specific familiars real quick, because that's another mechanic, because of course there's another mechanic in PF2. Uh, if you have enough powers for your familiar, so like you can take uh, other feats that will add more powers. It's usually like you'll get two base, you'll get two more from another thing, and then at a high level you might be able to get one or two more depending on your class. Um, if you have enough familiar abilities, you can select specific familiars from a like 
basically pre-published stat blocks. So they'll have some specific familiar abilities. They will represent a specific type of creature like an imp, and they'll have some stuff that other familiars can't get. So like it's a really cool way to get a unique familiar. They can have some unique mechanics and do some interesting things. Generally, they're not like super amazing, so it's not necessarily a powerful choice to make, but it can be really cool and you know, if it fits well for your character, then go for it. Yeah. Who doesn't like to have a pet imp instead of a house cat? Hmm. <laughs> no more house cat supremacy. No. House cat supremacy <laughs> all the way. <laughs> I will die on this hill. What's the difference between a house cat and an imp? One can know. fly and one's an imp. That doesn't one, even make any sense, Tyler. What? Uh, one's a demon messenger from the depths of hell, and one's a cat. Yes. No, wait, no. Slightly better. Oh my god. <laughs> Damn. We should keep all this in. He needs to live with his shame. Do not take I, I, the best take. Okay. I we would should... not survive as a stand-up comedian. No, you would can, not. Can we just go to an ad break? Yeah, let's do that. Thank what you were you going to say, though? What were you going to say? <laughs> I want to know. Uh, uh, cat, I was going to imply cats come from hell. Uh, okay. That's well, the best I had. Randall, did you have an emblem, or were you just saying him up for that? No, I just, I, I teed it up. I teed it up. <laughs> I wanted to see what, yeah. Uh, okay. Fine. I was All bad right. at T-ball. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't doubt. Only person yeah. ever be hit by pitch in T-ball. <laughs> That's a little inside baseball joke. <laughs> hey, there's one D&D. &D. That's exciting. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> Some of my personal failures. This is, uh, this is a professional podcast, yes. <laughs> All right. So one D&D. &D. It's coming. Uh, we're not sure if it's still called one D&D. &D. It's ambiguous. They're still calling Five it one D&D &D on... 5.5? The 2024 D&D &D rules. But that's a mouthful. So one D&D &D it is. Okay. All right, so in the past two Unearthed Arcanas, so that's uh, number four and number five, we've gotten Find Familiar and then the the UA version of Warlock, which comes with the updated version of Pact of the Chain. So we're like we're seeing all of the things in the 2024 rules that get to have familiars and what those will look like. So some really not notable changes. In Find Familiar, it's no longer pick a creature. It's now... Uh, Pick a creature type and pick a biome. So air, land, sea, celestial, fey, fiend. Like those are basically you've got a three by three grid kind of like alignment and you pick a space on that and that determines what your familiar can do. So you can pick like flight or swim speed. Uh, notably, they can attack again. Like That's cool. Yeah, uh, and they're they're actually reasonably durable. Like the 2014 rules, familiars have one hit point by default. If you get Pact of the Chain, they've got however many that creature type has, so it's usually like 12. So in this, they've got some number per spell level, so it encourages you to upcast Find Familiar to get yourself a durable familiar. So their AC is 10 plus the spell level. They've got, I think it's like four per spell level hit points, so... If you have a ninth level familiar, it's got 19 AC and like double digit hit points. And when it attacks, it does nine damage. Nine damage isn't going to do you a whole lot that, that high level, but it can attack, which is novel. Uh, the the warlock changes pretty similar. Like the the familiar's got a buff. It's no longer like 
pick a specific creature. It's now here's a list of creature types that you can choose from. And here are examples of what your familiar can be from that. So like if you choose an aberration, you could have a flump as a familiar. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yep. Um, and their creature type sets what kind of damage they do when they attack and a couple of other things like damage resistances and stuff. Um, it's not massively better than the familiars from find familiar but they do get like telepathy and a couple of other cool things that a base familiar does so it still feels like a meaningful improvement man they did warlocks dirty mm. the choices they made are extremely controversial yep <laughs> not getting into it now uh, yeah. yeah we'll uh we'll link our blog post about it in the show notes because it was long and spicy yep <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, who knows where this will actually land when the official rules come out sometime next year. Uh, but at the very least, they're looking at changing what familiars do. They specifically talked in the video about how they realized no one was taking anything as a familiar except the owl. And they understood exactly why and where they went wrong. So they are working to fix those, uh, what they view as abuse cases. And let's be honest, it was kind of an abuse case. Mm -hmm. uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll see where we land. We've talked a lot about the mechanics of familiars in the olden days in 5e and PF2, I guess in the future, you call 1D&D the future. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the role play of having a familiar as basically a member of the party. How much personality should they have? Do I, you know, is there an expectation that I basically have one player, you know, voicing two characters in the game because Salem, the house cat is just as important as Richard, the witch. <laughs> I'm just going to put a sock puppet on and use that for my familiars talking. Hello. I'm the cat socko. I have two <laughs> familiar powers and can't take the attack action. Yeah. Except for one of my familiar powers was speech and the other is kinship. So I can talk to other socks. <laughs> you can do, you can do the sock puppet as long as you do it like Bo Burnham and inside out. Just, <laughs> slightly upsetting yeah a little bit <laughs> oh lord i think if you're gonna do a talking uh familiar i think it's best if the dm voices that familiar i think it's a discussion that you can have with the dm but otherwise it gets into a really awkward situation where you're just talking to yourself in different funny voices uh <laughs> which can be awkward for you and can be awkward for the rest of your party because they're like, this is weird. You look weird. Stop doing that. Um, <laughs> that's the DM's job. That's the DM's job. The DM's <laughs> job is to talk with themselves, not you. And that way, like the DM can hold information that you don't know because they are a distinct person, an individual, and they might have information that you don't have, especially if this is a familiar that has its own goals and agenda. I think in that case like you because the main reason other than looking foolish to give control of the uh familiar's personality to the dm rather than the player is that we'll focus more on the familiar and have more options for storytelling than if you just control two characters because let's be honest if you control the personality of two characters that familiar is not going to come up much in conversation <laughs> yeah yeah i think this often won't wind up being a huge issue. It's a regular occurrence of like, well, okay, I stick my head around the corner. What do I see? 
and the GM gives you. This is what you see. Um, I think it's it's notable in PF2, for instance, uh, you can actually only uh, uh, empathetically communicate. And so you get feelings, but you don't have the full telepathy. So that makes this a lot easier. Of course, if they have speech, all bets are off. And even if it's a telepathic conversation like you would have in 5e, ultimately, most of the time, I think, what is that conversation really going to be? I sent you ahead to spy. What do you see? We solve that problem every day. I, I don't think that's going to be hugely detrimental. I guess the interesting bits would be when we're not in combat or near combat, but when we're dealing with true social interactions. That's where it could get spicy. Yeah. Let's see. So I, I've been listening to the Worlds Beyond Number podcast recently that uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan and Abria Lawson, a couple other folks, just started up. It's very good. Go listen to it. One of the characters has a familiar, and uh, uh, Mulligan is the DM, and he's used the familiar like kind of as his own voice in a couple of ways and sometimes as a way to like control the amount of trouble that the players are in. So it's like they, they get backed into a corner. Sometimes the familiar like shows up with something goofy and gets them out. Uh, if things are going too well and something interesting needs to happen, sometimes the familiar gets into mischief. Other times it's just comic relief and like the, the players don't really have any direct control over the familiar's actions. Like they can talk to the familiar and say like, we need you to go do X for this thing. And it'll usually do that because it's one of the characters familiars. Um, but it's, it is very much like a pet NPC who follows the party around as opposed to just, um, this is my character part two. Yeah. I feel like that fits nicely with what Ash was describing. Yeah, exactly. All right, we have a question of the week this week. This week, our question of the week comes to us from at Gordab13 on Twitter. Is sneak attack actually bad? Seems like it's so central to the rogue design, it stops it being a better class. Now, this this one has kind of some... This one has multiple facets to it. Um, a lot of people have looked at the rogue in 5e and the progression of sneak attack and seen like, okay, in terms of damage per round, like this scale, this scales linearly, but not fast enough that rogues are doing the massive amounts of damage that we really want the rogue to do. Um, and like that has been a problem since uh, the PHB launched and like subclasses have helped a bit, but it's not a perfect solution. But we need to look at the rogue a little beyond just sneak attack, because while it is their signature combat gimmick, rogues can do a lot of cool stuff. They they're the best at skills in a lot of ways. They have a ton of buttons to push in combat. They're very, very satisfying to play. They're diverse. There's a lot of ways you can build them. Yes, in combat, it always comes down to how can I sneak attack and do a big pile of damage? But that isn't their like that isn't their single function. and they can't be wizards. They can't do everything. Yeah, I think this is a question that's very pretty geared towards 5th edition because, first off, I don't think rogues are bad in 5th edition. I think that they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty solid for a martial class. They're pretty solid. Uh, sneak attack is definitely satisfying to use, and like Tyler said, there's a lot of buttons that you can push. But at the end of the day, it is a 5th edition martial class, and... Spoiler alert, 5th edition martial classes kind of suck. Um, so <laughs> rogues, at least, like ninjas and rogues in 3.5 were incredible. And you could do some insane things with them. I don't know how Pathfinder 2 works, but I would imagine that it's better as well because martial classes are just better in Pathfinder 2. 
but I do uh, speaking from 3.5 experience at least Pathfinder one rogues on the battlefield are scary. Like they're <laughs> incredibly terrifying. Like they have, they have stuff that can just melt you. They have stuff that they can just like teleport away or like, and they're really hard to pin down because both their AC and their touch AC is insanely good. So it's, it's a nightmare to fight against a, a rogue. So yeah, I think I don't, I don't think sneak attack is bad. I think the way that fifth edition approaches martial classes is bad. I think that maybe rogues could use something else, but I just fundamentally think that martial classes in general in fifth edition just need a complete rework because something was kind of lost along the way. Uh, and if you're not a spellcaster of some sort, you feel like you're not accomplishing much, especially at higher levels. Now, one thing that I really enjoyed from late in PF1, the Unchained Rogue introduced uh, introduced basically rider effects to sneak attack. Now, there was an optional class feature in 3.5 that did this. I don't know if a lot of people knew it existed, but it was there. Um, basically, in addition to dealing sneak attack damage or instead of dealing sneak attack damage, you could apply some debuff. Like in 3.5, uh, one of the options was like minus five to AC for the next round, which is massive like that is a huge debuff um and then because it's three five you're a rogue you still get all of your iterative attacks that all do sneak attack so like you, you could just pile on the damage it was great also uh, dirty trick was a big thing that oh yeah. that is brutal dirty <laughs> trick is so good uh, yeah uh so like Basically, if we added something to sneak attack for the rogue that gave them some more tactical choice beyond I'm going to do damage, maybe I'll hide. I think that could go a long way to make it feel more interesting. Like the the weapon mastery stuff we're seeing in the most recent UA, that might be it. I don't know if that's exactly the right answer, but it's an answer. Yeah, I think that's just the big problem with fifth edition marshals is that you don't really get a lot of choice, especially at a higher level. It's like, I'm going to hit the thing. <laughs> My yeah. numbers might be bigger as a rogue, but I'm still ultimately doing the same thing every turn. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. Wait, am I the Leisure Illuminati today? I pushed the buttons. Yes. All hail Tyler. <laughs> Randall really had to think for a second on that one. He was like, I, don't, I didn't agree with I didn't agree to this. Yeah. <laughs> We are we are all the leisure Illuminati on this day. <laughs> I'm Randall James. You'll find me at amateurjack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Campshire. You'll find me on RPGbot.net, Facebook and Twitter, RPG BOT, DOT, NET, and most other socials as RPGbot. I'm Ashila. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes or check out my YouTube channel, Ash Raven Media at Graven Ashes. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGbot.net or message us on Twitter at RPG, D-O-T, D-O-T, N-E-T. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGbot.content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGbot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash RPGbot. Where's my mouse? I did actually lock my cat in the bathroom.
That's fair. Oh, poor baby. She deserves it. 